Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Elijah Adebayo to my Carlton Morris. Hey, it's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, I would ask you how we are, but we've got a lot to get through in this episode of the Second Tier Podcast. So welcome along to the number one championship podcast, the Second Tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, it's that time of year again, ladies and gentlemen. We're ranking all of the managers in the championship now we're basing the rankings on how much we would want them in charge of our football club because really that's the only way we can compare all 24 of them justin it is true it is true it's a difficult thing as well especially when well to my, my football club's derby but in the context of this i'm trying to imagine them as a a solid championship club with aspirations of going up and not wanting not wanting to get sucked into a relegation battle and um, i think it's worth pointing out as well that i've sort of well, I don't know about you, but I've I've tried to use sort of a hype and um, experience as, as as part of my variables as well, which is which is a very obvious thing, especially when you're trying to consider um, the fact that you know whether you want a, that man in charge of your football club or not. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting conversation, especially especially given how different our lists were originally, which was um, which is always good to it's always good for a debate. I think we we could come to blows here. Well, going back to the initial point it's a case of how can we compare Neil Warnock to Michael Carrick we Mm. simply can't can we you can only base this on how much you want them in charge of your side because you're basing it on if you're basing it on achievements then obviously Warnock walks this doesn't he but if you're basing Mm. it on how much you want them in charge of your football club that's a completely different kettle of fish but as you say Justin you know, we, we made this list the same way we make all of our lists. I make a list, Justin makes a list. We merge them together, work out the average positions of each manager between the two. And it, it was very difficult making this one. I, I mean, we did we did this last year, didn't we? And mm-hmm. I, found, I found it much more difficult to do this list this season compared to last season. And I think that's because not only does this championship season feel a lot more competitive it also feels a lot more competitive in terms of managers yeah you're spot on I think there's a lot well, I say there's a lot of newcomers there's some managers coming in who've got a lot of hype around them naturally you're going to sort of push them a little bit higher there's some managers who I think are not coming to the end of their championship careers but they certainly are on a on a, a downwards trend and then there are some completely unknowns that we just don't know. And I think that's a normal thing, actually, for every season. But I just think it was particularly hard this season because if you take some managers, for example, who have come from top top clubs, um, whether coming in as, from as an assistant manager role or as a, as, a, as a coach, then, yeah, it does add a, a difficult variable to, to consider. But, um, but, yeah, 
I think it's going to be a very interesting debate because there, there are, as I say, there are a lot that we disagreed on. But I think that's what's going to make it quite an interesting conversation is that it's an entirely subjective thing. Uh, and your opinions on this, which is not an uncommon thing, um, but you know, our opinions differ a lot. So, yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be pretty, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I think we've only got one manager in the same position on mm-hmm. each of our lists last time I checked anyway uh, just one final point on you know comparing it to last season I did have a brief look just before we started recording this and it just seems like the standard of manager has gone up as well now I know mm-hmm. that managers stock and what have you falls quite quickly in the in this silly old game but it, it just seems like that the standard of manager this year is so high so that's why for me I essentially had my bottom four managers, who I'm just not that big a fan of. Everyone else above that on my list, I would say, is at least good. And then you're getting up to the upper ends where you're looking at some extremely brilliant managers. Well, you're spot on. I think the standard is an interesting interesting thing to consider, to be honest with you. I think when you, um, when you bring in the likes of, you know, just as an example, you're comparing Gareth Ainsworth, who had a really poor... Um, season with QPR last season to one of I don't know Kieran McKenna who's been promoted with Ipswich and, and done it incredibly well the standard's entirely different um, and, and 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 for that it's gone up and Gareth Ains was coming into this full season in the championship as a as someone who's got a good reputation so it's, it's, it's been a difficult year to, to, to list them. So I think, as I say, it just adds to the debate. And um, I think whatever we say, there's going to be people disagreeing and accusing us of bias. But that's just what we do. We, we're biased to all 24 teams. And that's what makes this balanced. That's what makes it balanced. Yeah, I don't really care what people think at this point. Um, <laughs> let's get on to the manager rankings then, Justin. So in 24th place... Uh, but by the way, I should actually say, in this episode, we're doing part one. So we're going through the rankings from 24 to 13. Then on Sunday, we'll reveal our top 12. So let's get on to the rankings. In 24th place, we have Gareth Ainsworth of QPR. Now, I was just saying a second ago that me and Justin disagreed quite a lot on our manager lists. This is the only one we had in the same position on both of our lists, Justin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was an easy one. And it's... It's, I kind of feel bad because Gareth Ains was a very nice guy, but at the end of the day, if you're taking into account his spell last season with QPR, it's not filled me with any confidence. And I've been quite a big critic of his probably March onwards. Um, and that's what made this decision quite easy. It was the easiest decision, I think, in terms of placing a manager. And I don't think Gareth Ains was a bad manager. I just think QPR is an incredibly bad uh Example for well, a factor to to bring in when we're judging it because if you're judging him on his Wick, Wickham spell, then perhaps he's a bit higher. But because of last season, it just drops down considerably. He's he's a relatively unproven manager at this level as well. One and a half seasons just isn't enough um, to be a convincing factor, especially when those one and a half seasons, one of them has been a relegation, and the other half a season's been a dice with relegation. And then you consider the fact that tactically he really did miss the mark last season. There was no transition from this uh, progressive football that was going to be implemented or was being implemented at Loftus Road. It was just straight, we're playing it my way. And it proved a disaster. And the stats back it up. They were conceding a lot of chances, a lot of chances, a scary amount of chances. And they weren't creating any either. 
I don't want to say they were lucky in the games that they won that allowed them to come up the table, but they did ride it heavily. They did ride the look heavily. It was a it was a rough rodeo for them, but they but they stayed up, and that's that's a character thing, and that's instilled by the manager. But for me, tactically, football style, everything, I'm just not a big fan of. Yeah, I don't think Gareth Ainsworth is a bad football manager. However, he might be out of his depth at championship level. We'll say he did a good job when Wickham were in the championship, had limited funds. No one gave them a chance of staying up and they took it to the last day, gave a good account of themselves. They were playing some abysmal football though and every game was a proper slog to watch. Now Mm. he's taken charge of QPR and made them into the same team. Terrible football when it doesn't need to be that way. They have some good players who can play, but... Ainsworth's football is taking them backwards as a club. The game plan is hoofed up to Linden Dykes and there have been numerous occasions in games last season where they were playing, where they only had one or two players who had completed 20 passes or more. As a fan, it's bad to watch and that's before you even get onto the results. Three wins from 13 under Ainsworth last season at QPR. He took a side which was mid-table when he took over and nearly relegated them. Saved his own job with a couple of wins towards the end of the season. I mean, he kind of saved his own job by saving them from relegation, which they weren't in danger of before he came in, really. (laughs) So make of that what you will. His interviews after the game would also drive me insane. He has a habit of not really saying it like it is, which is not what you want from a manager when the going's getting tough. So, I mean, all in all, If you ask me why would I want Gareth Ainsworth as manager of my football club, I'm struggling to give you many positives and reasons why I would. Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think that's spot on. When you're trying to list the the, the pros and the cons, there are a lot of cons, especially after last season. Um, The pros may be that he can work on a budget, but that's been done over time at Wickham. The only example we've got is his eight-year spell at Wickham Wanderers, um, which for me is, is quite telling in that He's never had experience of completely turning the fortunes around of a, of, of a club, especially over the course of weeks, as it was last season, but definitely not over the course of months. Took Wickham a long time to get to where they were now, um, and I just don't think he can he can do that at QPR, where the patience is a lot thinner, and the what well, the style of football and quality of football it gets criticised a lot. I think a lot, a lot, lot easier, a lot more directly. I would say so. Yeah, the, the, the pros aren't um, aren't outweighing the cons on Gareth Ainsworth, which ultimately is why he's bottom. They're heavily outweighing the cons. <laughs> uh, the pros are being heavily outweighed by the cons here, aren't they? It's a bit like the Titanic at this point. Um, let's go to twenty third, where we have Isco Munoz of Sheffield Wednesday. Did a great job at Watford previously. They needed someone to get then back on track with regards to promotion he did that however he was given the reins of an extremely talented squad who should have been doing better he was then badly exposed as a manager in the Premier League and didn't last long at all since then he's had a pretty torrid time in management went to Huesca in the Spanish second tier was sacked after winning nine games from 30 and then he was sacked at Anorthosis Famagusta in Cyprus after just three months When Sheffield Wednesday came knocking, I imagine he was pretty chuffed because, plain and simply, would he get another job at another championship side? Maybe, but you're looking at two or three clubs, tops. 
I also don't really know what his style of play is. It was pass to Ishmael Assar, and that's going to be a struggle to do at Sheffield Wednesday when they don't have Ishmael Assar. <laughs> he seems like a very positive chap, though. He was very well liked by people who were at Watford when he was there, particularly the players. The fans liked him too. He's just, he's someone who you can get behind because you can tell that he's keen to make an impression. I'm just not sure he's got the tactical noose to be enough for Sheffield Wednesday this season. But the fans like him and I guess that counts for something. I think that's the key variables in which I've only been managed uh, managed to judge Isco Munoz is that he's a nice guy. He's a really nice guy and everyone gets behind him. But tactically, style of play leaves a lot to be desired. Reading into his time at Watford, um, when he was sacked, I read, a, I read an article, local press said he did well to identify problems in the post-match pressers. But he never suggested solutions and those solutions never came playing-wise either, which ultimately is why Watford were where they were, where they were, where they were essentially, and why he was sacked as well. I mean, as you say, he deserves credit for getting them promoted. They were a really bland, boring side and he managed to spark their attack during their promotion season, which was impressive. But as you say, that just seemed to get the ball to Saar, just seemed to be get the, getting the ball to Saar and letting him work his magic. And I mean, it worked, but not sure Wednesday's squad is as inspiring as, as Watford's was that season. A lot of, lot of solidity, but it's not exactly brimming with quality. I was going to say you're not sure, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, do, I'm trying to do it politely because I know, I know Sheffield Wednesday fans will, will say, "Well, we've got this, we've got this, we've got this." You don't have Vishmay Lasar, who's a Senegalese international, for example, or Jao Pedro, who's at that point was one of the, the most impressive prospects in in England at that point. Interestingly, as well, since um, well, one of his only one of his previous four clubs, he's only managed to get past the year mark, which was at. Dinamo Tbilisi, and he left that role for Watford at Huesca and uh, an Orthosis, an Orthos, an Orthos, the Greek side. I'm going to butcher that. Cypriot side, but close enough. The Cypriot side, damn it. Um, They've been really poor, averaging 1.31 points per game and 1.08 points per game, which is ultimately relegation form. It's not inspiring, and again, when you're comparing it to other managers, I'm not feeling a, a positive vibe in terms of who I want in charge of my club from Isco Munoz. No, no, that's completely fair. Who have we got 22nd, Justin? We've got Nigel Pearson. Big Nigel. Bristol City's Nigel Pearson. I like Pearson. I think he's a brilliant ambassador for Bristol City and a good coach. But for me, I think his time at the, the not the top, but certainly as a championship coach, maybe dwindling a little bit. I think he's a good experienced coach. But when you consider the fact that Bristol City have failed to get into that top path under him again if you're wanting to judge it on who you want in charge of your football club I want an ambitious an ambitious manager and I don't think Nigel Pearson fits into that category there are positives for Nigel Pearson I think he's a manager who can steady this ship as he's done at Bristol City he's, he's had his hands behind, tied behind his back he's not been able to recruit freely and he has progressed young players which is a major positive but ultimately I think I think it's going to be the next man in charge at Bristol City who's going to have more success in terms of getting them into the top half and, and a playoff challenger than Nigel Pearson. And I do really think this is a season in which we probably can judge him on in that they've they've recruited very well Bristol City, but it might come it might come too late for him, or they might finish mid table again and he might leave at the end of the season. I, I I don't know, but for me, Nigel Pearson's spark I think has has slowly dwindled out and it's now just a a running motor that is just keeping keeping things along. And as I say. If you want ambition, I don't think Nigel Pearson's quite the man. I think that's completely fair, Justin. Nigel Pearson's doing 
a fine job at Bristol City. That's it, though. It's just fine. He steadied the ship after years of reckless spending. That ship is more than steady now, and it's time for Bristol City to have a crack again at promotion because they've certainly got the capability. I just struggled to see that happening with Nigel Pearson in charge. To be fair to him, he's done well with bringing in youngsters, the likes of Alex Scott, Tommy Conway, Sam Bell, have all done really well under him. I just cannot see Bristol City breaking into the top half again with Pearson in charge. I think they've actually got a pretty decent side as well. They've signed well this summer. I think Jason Knight in particular this week is a really, really good signing. Ultimately, though, I think Nigel Pearson's just holding them back. I actually think if you took any of the managers in the top half of our list and put them in charge of Bristol City, they wouldn't be far off the top six. But with Nigel Pearson, it's just, this is what you've got. And I tell you what, I keep getting this sneaky feeling in my head that this may be the final year that we see Nigel Pearson in charge at Bristol City. I just think the club may be looking at this now and thinking, right, we've coasted along for long enough. It's time for us to have a real crack at doing something because at the moment, that's all they're doing. They're just coasting, aren't they? Well, they are. And I think as well, I mean, his contract comes to an end at the end of this season or the 2024, which is maybe a good time for that transition. And I think Nigel Pearson is probably ready made for a director of football role or technical director role in that. He's a really intelligent bloke. And he's, as I say, he's a great ambassador for Bristol City. And he could act as an, uh, you know, a very good mentor for a, for a younger manager coming in. And I think that's what Bristol City need to really spark them into life. That being said, as I say, I think the job that he's done at Bristol City has been one of, he's had to manage the transition in that, going from that big spending era to, to what it is now. And Bristol City are in a much better place than they are now. But it's not, it's not been pretty. And I think that's what, again, was probably what we're judging him on. The results haven't been consistent enough. They've been... Typical Bristol City streaky, um, and I think this is a really good opportunity this season to, to to push on. And if they don't, unfortunately, I think Nigel Pearson's probably going to be in a bit of a bit of bother. But as I say, I do rate him as a, as, a, as a bloke and as a as a an experienced coach. I think he could steady the ship somewhere. But if you're looking for someone to really drive up the table, maybe Pearson's not the guy. In twenty first place, we have Edel Bullut of Cardiff City. Now. It's difficult for us to put Edel Bullock any higher or any lower in this list, simply because we have no idea how good a manager he is. All we have is his record in Turkey, which was a bit up and down. Didn't have a good time at Fenerbahce, but if you ask experts on Turkish football, they'll tell you he wasn't necessarily at fault for that. Prior to that, he had a lot of success at Alanyaspor. He's quite a direct manager, likes to prioritise a, a solid defence, something which will stand Cardiff in good stead, considering I'm expecting them to be fighting to stay up again this season. That all sounds good, but we've had plenty of managers before who are essentially unknowns on these shores. Been told they've got a good record abroad, they've come in and they've ended up doing a terrible job in the Championship off the top of my head. Joss Lukai, Leonard Slutsky, amongst many others. Cardiff say they've done a worldwide search to find the best manager for the job. Considering how the club's been run in recent years, I'm not necessarily sure that's a ringing endorsement. Ultimately, Bullock could do a good job, maybe even keep Cardiff away from a relegation battle, which would be a really, really good job if he did do that. Or he could be sacked by Christmas. We just don't know, and we can't justify him being any higher or lower in this list, just because we simply have no idea how this is going to go. 
yeah, it's it's the improving factor about the hype, isn't it? You know, you've got improving managers coming into the championship, but they've they've got hype around them. Whereas, Bullet for us is a complete unknown for any champ uh, for any championship follower or any championship fan or even Cardiff fans is a complete unknown. Um, and before Cardiff fans get on with it, it's not a Cardiff thing. This is not an anti-Cardiff thing. This is very much a Justin. Don't be worried about what Cardiff fans are going to say you, at this point. <laughs> you should know by this point that people are going to be annoyed whatever our opinions are. So who cares what people think? That is true. That is true. But it's it's just a public. Or I could just say, you know what? This is. I'm I'm, I'm going to embrace the agenda here against every single club. No, we'll just say that because we don't have an agenda against anyone. <laughs> stop, stop giving people fuel. <laughs> um, and yeah, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, as you say, his record in Turkey was was so so decent. Spells at Malatya Spor guided them to Europa League. Alanya Spor again guided to guided them to Europa League, but. As you, as you pointed out, he could be the greatest manager in Cardiff's history or he could be out the door in the next few months. It's really hard to tell when they don't have experience outside of the country they've been managing in for their entire careers. It's his first spell out of Turkey, for example. So, again, can we really justify him being higher? No. Do we do we know for, for sure what his style of pay is going to be? Yes and no. Um, is he going to be able to get this, this group of players going after... Just about two and a half managers did last season. I mean, Sabri Mushi did in, in in some cases. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's one of them where you just can't push him higher. But it could be good. He, he could be terrible. It's one of them. But I'm 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 looking forward to the project because as I say, he's saying the right things, which is always a positive. But you look at Guy Fainsworth, he said all the right things. It's not quite works out, has it? Yeah. It is just a case of who knows, really, isn't it? Let's go on to 20th, where we have David Wagner of Norwich City. Now, I personally think David Wagner's very lucky to still have a job heading into this season. I'm not really sure how he's survived after Norwich's collapse at the back end of last season. One win from eight, finished the season with a points-per-game record, which wasn't much better than Dean Smith. It's very comparable to how Norwich were doing under Dean Smith in the first half of the season. They went from playoff challenges to finishing bottom half. It seems like Wagner got the job because he's Stuart Webber's mate. It now seems like the only reason why he still got the job is because he's Stuart Webber's mate. My view of him as a manager isn't purely based on last season with Norwich. Since leaving Huddersfield, his record is very questionable. When he took over at Schalke, they were a mid-table side. The season, he got sacked. They were relegated. He also set a new club record of 16 games without a win. Then he went to Young Boys in Switzerland. They've won the Swiss Super League in five of the last six seasons. The one season they didn't win it was when David Wagner was in charge. So while he did do an exceptional job at Huddersfield many seasons ago, can't can't take that away from him. It was an exceptional job. And then keep him in them in the Premier League as well. Unbelievable. But since then, there hasn't been much else to justify him being any higher in this list. You essentially stole it off my notes, um, <laughs> which I mean, we're doing our research, which is good. But I guess I'll go side down a slightly different route. His time at Huddersfield, and I know he's got a promotion on his CV and that's a big factor, but his time at Huddersfield... It seemed like everything aligned at once there. The recruitment was pretty much spot on, especially in the lead up to the promotion campaign. The recruitment was spot on. The style of play was defensive and conservative, but it was it was at the right time. It was getting results, and it was in a season where there wasn't there wasn't too many candidates pushing high, and that really helped the likes of Reading, Huddersfield, essentially do their bit and get to the playoff final. Um, first season in the Premier League again. I think the defensive side of things helped, but the second season, 
uh, Huddersfield were one of the worst teams of Premier League history up until his up until his sacking and the problem like this they, they still are they, they they were dreadful they were really really bad poorly organized um quality of player was poor which isn't down to David Wagner there was just a lot going wrong at Huddersfield and it and it and it fizzled out quickly and it seems like he struggled to reignite his career from there as you say Schalke not the best but up until his sacking he conceded 15 goals in three games and then he was and then he was out the door it's it's quite a, a staggering stat really and as you say, I think he is lucky to have a, uh, have a job by now. All we can say is that he's got an opportunity with a squad that he's putting together himself, that he's assembling with Schultz over himself, to be a solid defensive side. They might they might have success, but at the same time, is it really? Can you really push David Wagner higher on this list based on what we've seen over the last five years or four years? No, it's it's a difficult one. Is it? He says the right things again. A lot of managers do that can be charismatic, but for me, I can't justify him being higher. It's, it's, it's an impossible one. I think I originally had him higher, but I dropped him down. I think the the sense came to me that his record over the last few years is just not good enough. Yeah, if you put him any higher on this list, you're basing it purely on how he did with Huddersfield mm-hmm. many years ago now, aren't you? And you asking that Huddersfield spell to carry a lot of weight in regards to this list. Who have we got in 19th, Justin? We've got Matt Taylor at Rotherham United. And I think we're getting into a very competitive five or six managers who are maybe all can be very interchangeable. But I think Matt Taylor, for me, he's in a, he's in a, a difficult position in that. I think he's still relatively unproven. He succeeded in, 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 keeping Rotherham in the Championship last season, last season did it incredibly well and I think probably this year maybe it's come too late in pushing him higher because I think this is the year where we can really judge him because he's got the pre-season he's, he's got the recruitment that he can do that isn't just sort of filling gaps and, and, and making him solid and, uh, and everything around that but, but as I say for me the positives there, he did the right thing last season in slowly integrating aspects of what he wanted from the team you look at Gareth Ainsworth who changed things straight away, didn't work. Matt Taylor wanted to retain the Paul Warren aspect and slowly mould it, the team into his style. And they did that, but not. I don't think it's fully in Matt Taylor's identity yet. And I think with, with the recruitment this summer, I think we're going to see that. And as I say, he doesn't come with the hype that the likes of maybe Kieran McKenna, Stephen Schumacher, Michael Duff come from League One because he doesn't have that promotion. He was just getting started with Exeter, so it's very hard to, again, push him higher than, than, than where he is now. I think he's a good manager and I'm really looking forward to seeing more. But again, if you're looking at a relatively unproven manager at this level, I think Matt Taylor still feels it still sits in that category, again, without that hype that other managers come in with. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I find it really difficult to work out how good a manager Matt Taylor is. He's the first manager to keep Rotherham in the championship since Neil Warnock performed a minor miracle seven years ago. So Taylor deserves a lot of respect for that. Rotherham could have easily collapsed after losing someone who's been as important to the club as Paul Warren, but they didn't. Now, Rotherham weren't spectacular by any means last season. Eight wins from 36 under Taylor isn't mind-blowing. They just managed to gather enough points as the season went on to keep their heads above the water. And at no point did they drop into the bottom three. Would they have gone down if the standard of the bottom three wasn't very poor? Maybe. So ultimately, I think Taylor did a good job without setting the world alight. He did. He, in fact, it's, it's a great job, really. And he did a great job as well at Exeter prior to that. 
His career thus far has just been a big thumbs up. I suppose the question is, how would I feel if he went to a club with a bigger budget than Rotherham or Exeter? I don't really know. I'd be interested to find out, but I don't really know. So I'd give him a big round of applause for what he's done so far in his career, but I'm holding my horses before I declare him to be anything more than a good championship manager. We need a bit more proof in the pudding and I'm quite interested to see how Rotherham do this season considering they've been battling relegation every season they've been in the championship for decades now and with Taylor in charge who seemingly has them going in the right direction will that continue or will it be another season where they are you know fighting off the grabbing arms of relegation will be very interesting to see let justin let's take a quick break after that we'll go through our managers in these rankings from 18th to 13th Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. In this episode, we are ranking all the managers in the Championship based on how much we want them at our football club. Um, This is part one, so we're going through 24th to 13th in this episode. We've just done 24th to 19th, so now it's time for us to get on 18th to 13th. A lot of numbers there. Justin, who have we got in 18th? We've got Alex Neal of Stoke City mm. and it's quite a drop down, isn't it, from where we had him last season? Yeah. I can't remember where it was exactly, was it? That, that's what I was going to say. We had him quite high in our list last season, didn't we? But mm. I, I can't remember where, it was definitely in the top 10, I think. Yeah, it was a top 10. I mean, I still rate Alex Neal very highly, but the spell last season has just bruised my opinion on him quite significantly. Not only did he leave Sunderland in acrimonious circumstances after just a handful of games not the best thing to do especially when you when you've got a club like Sunderland building something but also he virtually had a full season at Stoke and let's just say politely that it wasn't great um I mean there was still a lot of Stoke fans who were not wanting him out but there was a lot of question marks around him because he just couldn't get form going there's a little spell between February and the end of March where it looked like Stoke were we're finally hitting their, their stride under Alex Neal and then it just flatlined again. And I think Alex Neal's going into the season under pressure because the form really was flat. It was poor. There was a lack of creativity. There was no spark in the team. Clean sheets weren't there. Nothing. There was nothing there you expect from an Alex Neal side. It was, it was a lack of discipline in, in shape as well. It really was poor. That being said, the squad was poorly balanced and it's it's maybe a little bit harsh judging him purely on that well, his spell last season which wasn't with his team but it reminded me of his time at Preston when it was coming to an end where things just flatlined majorly it felt like Alex Neal didn't have anything to come back with and as I say I think the reason why he's dropped down the list for me so considerably is because of that eight months last season with Stoke he could again push him into the top half but ultimately it was a bad job last season you've got to call it out for what it was he, he failed to get them going he really did and as I say, ultimately, that's, that's why he's down the list. Yeah, i am got pretty much the same thinking as you, Justin. I rate Alex Neal as a manager. He's done a good job at every club he's been at prior to Stoke, which is not something many managers can say when they're on their fifth club. We've got to remember that. Last season didn't go very well. 
They spent virtually the whole season in the bottom third of the table, even flirted with relegation at times. So it's hard to be too excited about Alex Neal as a manager after a season like that. However, he's certainly not the only manager who struggled at Stoke in the last five years. He's in good company on that one because some very talented managers have gone into the Stoke dugout, haven't they? And have come out a bit battered and bruised after a, a year or so at Stoke. The club's had good managers, good players, a good setup in general, but they haven't finished higher than 14th now in the last five years. It's going to take a really good manager to book that trend. Is Alex Neal that really good manager? I'd be surprised if it happened this season, but I think he definitely can be. It depends on whether the Stoke hierarchy and the fans are willing to give him time, and I'm not sure they will, because particularly from a fan perspective, it seems like patience is running a bit thin, um, based off how last season went particularly, which was one of the poorer seasons that Stoke have had at championship level, which is saying something because it's been quite bad over the last five years or so. In 17th, we have Valerian Ishmael of Watford. Now, I was surprised, Justin, when I saw your list about how far down Valerian Ishmael was. I thought you thought he was a good appointment. I do, I do think it was a good appointment. I'm just trying to be sensible in relation to this list. I think if you're trying to... How how high would have how high would Ishmael have been on everybody else's list in terms well Watford fans in particular in terms of their next appointment? I know it's difficult for them because I think it's a bit of a lottery as to who's going to get the job next. But as I say, just trying to be a little bit sensible in terms of where he would sit on this list. And don't get me wrong, I want Ish, I love I love Ishmael. I think he brings a lot of positivity to to to, to a football club. But last two spells at Besiktas and West Brom not particularly great. So we can only really judge him on his Barney spell, which was incredible. Um, but for me, I think it might just be the fact that, that Watford might not be the the perfect fit for him. But if he can get his football going, it can be really positive. It, it, it can. We, we've seen the evidence of that. He can, He can. well, firstly, uh, Lask in Austria did very well. And then at Barnsley, he came in and did incredibly well. We've seen how much of an impact he can have at a, a football club. And then we saw it at West Brom where it turned very, very quickly. That being said, facts are facts. Strikers underperformed that season significantly. So much so it became a running joke between a lot of people that they were just missing chances if they were clinical. Could have been a different story. But as I say, when comparing him to other managers on this list, I might edge towards the other managers than I would Valerian Ishmael. Yeah, for me, Valerian Ishmael is a good manager for a certain level of club. I don't think that's Watford I think his style suits a club where the expectations aren't that high and they're not expected to be the better team in the majority of games now I don't think anyone associated with Watford is expecting top two this season but they'll definitely be hoping for much better than last season which was just a bit of a mess I'm not sure if Ishmael can do that in a strange way I personally believe he would be a good appointment for a team fighting to stay up in the Premier League. I reckon his style, which is quite unconventional, would win quite a few points over the course of a season. It just doesn't really suit a team at the other end of the table. And that's been shown with how he's done since leaving Barnsley. West Brom didn't work out. Besiktas, he was sacked after seven months. So... When you're looking to dominate games like you should be when you're one of those sides... Ishmael isn't really that kind of manager because he doesn't dominate games and he's struggled to find a way to do that, particularly at West Brom. 
we all know what Watford's owners are like as well. So it wouldn't surprise me if he's gone before the end of the year because I just don't think he's suited to Watford. Still a very good manager. Did an incredible job at Barnsley. For me, he needs to take a job that's a step or two down from the ones he's been taking, though, for the good of his own career as well because otherwise that stock is only going to keep falling. Uh, in 16th, Justin, we have Liam Rosinia of Hall City. I like Liam Rosinia. Comes across extremely well in the media. Seems very tactically switched on. Did a great job at Hull last season as well. Easy to forget they were in serious danger of going down when he first came in. Ended up finishing 15th and only nine teams picked up more points from the stage he came in. The improvement defensively is probably the most unbelievable thing about the job he did at Hull. They went from having by far the worst defensive record in the league before Rosinha joined to having the fourth best. So loads of signs of encouragement from his first real season as a manager. We need to see a bit more from him to justify him being any higher in this list. However, it wouldn't surprise me if he made us look very silly and did a cracking job with Hull next season. Certainly a manager with a lot of potential could take Hull places. Do you have a slight fear that if they don't start the season well, he could get sacked? He was under a bit of pressure towards the end of last season, once when they were drawing a lot of games. The Hull owners are very ambitious. However, I think Rosinha will still have a good managerial career, whatever happens. So it's one of them where he's, he's, he's relatively low down on this list, I suppose. But it wouldn't surprise me if he was, you know, one of the top managers in this list in like five years time or something like that well hopefully in five years time is in the Premier League I think that would be the ambition for maybe uh, that's senior. but uh, you are right it's that unproven factor isn't it it's that unproven factor with a little bit of evidence that we saw last season as you say tidied them up defensively but going forwards there's some teething issues and I think that's natural especially with the squad turnover and a new young manager coming into place but as I say, they just weren't creating enough chances. Games became a little bit dull, a little bit passive, and they just failed to inject a spark at times. That's why they drew so many games. That's ultimately why the pressure built up a little bit. And you are right. I do think you might be under a little bit of pressure if they fail to get onto uh, get get onto a good start uh, in the coming season. But for me, I think if you've got a football club who are a bit of a project club, a long-term project club, and you wanted to develop players into the first team. I think, I think Liam Rossini is the perfect man while playing an attractive style of play as well or at least a progressive style of play that can has the potential to be attractive. So yeah, Rossini ticks a lot of boxes but putting him higher based on his record last season probably just isn't enough. A lot of positives but also there's a lot of teething issues which as a young coach I think you're going to go through. A lot of young coaches in this list have gone through the same thing but for me I think Rossini is a potential manager as opposed to judging him now it's difficult but certainly potential as you say could be top in five years time on this list yeah and I suppose a lot of what we just said is quite applicable to who we have at number 15 Justin which is Mr John Eustace John Eustace yes what a year he had last season considering I think when we did this list last year Lee Bowie was still in charge wasn't he I think he'd just been sacked, but because Birmingham <laughs> didn't have a manager in charge at that point, we went ahead and did the list with Lebo, you're still in charge, because yeah. otherwise, you know, we're, we're basically 23 judging times. it on the seat in the hot in the dugout, aren't we? Exactly. Um, 
so yeah, as I say, what a year it's been, and and the reason why I've got a smile on my face because I think again, as you say, Johnny has got a lot of potential at Birmingham City, and they've had a really good window this season. So I'm really looking forward to digging my teeth in and assessing them ahead of ahead of um, yeah the next campaign. But last season, there was a lot of positives. The squad was barely barely there, wasn't it? There was not. There's not a lot. There wasn't a lot in that squad that make you got that made you get off your seat. You know, a front two of Djokovic or Dini and Scott Hogan is not exactly an inspiring front two, but Eustace got them clicking, got them scoring, got them getting results. They were a little bit industrial at times, but I think they needed to be because, as I say, they lacked, I don't know, flair amongst their squad. They've got the likes of Chong and um, Teeth Chong and Hannibal, who were who were really good driving forces, but there just wasn't a lot in their squad. But So for him to deliver... The finish that he delivered last season for Birmingham, I think, is a, is a major positive. But as I say, there's a lot of things that we want to see from John, John Eustace, and it's more of a potential appointment, uh, potential ten, uh, potential thing than it is, yeah, uh, judging him right now. But for me, I think Birmingham in the, the right hands under under Eustace, and I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses things. But basing it on last season, there was that spell in the middle of the this, the, the campaign where I think fans were calling for him to be sacked because it it was a bad run, but. Birmingham held fire and as I say they, they've got a really good opportunity this season to push on and I'm looking forward to seeing Eustace crack on like Rosinia could be top of this list in a few years time yeah I think you've got to add a bit of context to what you were saying there because you were saying that Birmingham finishing 17th was a really good finish but that's not adding in the context that pretty much everyone predicted Birmingham to get relegated yeah. last season they ended up not really being in any serious danger of going down. A large part of that was down to some excellent business they did last summer. Another large part of that was down to John Eustace. He's come in and played to the strengths of the players he's got, sheltered them from some of the issues off the pitch. And it's just got Birmingham City as a football club going in the right direction again, which they haven't done for a long, long time. Halfway through the season, they weren't too far off the top six. So, he he did a marvellous job last season. I wasn't too impressed when he initially came in, but he's changed my mind without a doubt. As I say, I think he was helped last season by Birmingham signing very well, particularly in the loan market. But you could also argue he did well considering the striking options weren't amazing. It was a very unbalanced squad at Birmingham. He would probably be higher on this list if it wasn't for a mini collapse in the latter half of the season. And finishing 17th after being 7th, at Christmas is a bit disappointing. At the end of the day, though, we have been quietly murmuring about Birmingham being dark horses next season. That would be a non-starter if we didn't think John Eustace was capable of managing that kind of team. So definitely could see his ranking in this list rise maybe in the next year or so. Um, there, there, were there, there were definitely signs of potential, weren't there, in, in his first mm -hmm kind of yes. real managerial spell at this level in 14th place who have we got Justin we've got Michael Duff of I was going to say Barnsley but Swansea now and I think with Duff there's there's certainly a lot of potential I like Duff a lot I think he's a uh, an adaptable coach probably more adaptable than than some given credit for mainly because I think a lot, a lot of perhaps what he's perceived on is, is his Cheltenham spell where it was long throws direct football defensive football but last season Barnsley they were a lot more progressive they were a lot more uh, interchangeable and they they were certainly a lot more aggressive and there was a high press as well there was a there was a lot of positives there for Barnsley and I think again when you're looking at expectations of Barnsley, Barnsley last season 
they weren't particularly high. If you ask a lot of fans, I don't think they would have expected a title push come April and a playoff a playoff finish or at least a you know, playoff final uh, playoff final finish. Um, so for me, yeah, Duff Duff's got a lot of potential again. It's quite interesting that Eustace, Rossini and, and now Duff are in this category of three managers who have got a lot of potential. Um, but as I say, for me, Duff, is, is, he's, he's got to go into Swansea and, and adapt a style of play from what was a very patient possession-based football to, to what he wants, which is going to be aggressive. It's going to be in opposition faces. Players are going to have to be really fit. They're going to have to buy into it. So he's got a bit of a challenge there. But I, I, I think his trajectory is upwards. I think he's pushing upwards. And again, if you're looking at next year's list, I think he could be higher should he still be at Swansea. I like him a lot. I, I, I think he's, he's, as I say, he's rising high. He comes from the Daesh school of football as well. So he's, he's going to be saying the right things as well. And, and as I say, that, that Barnsley spell last season, the style of football was 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 very attacking, was very front um, forward, front forward facing. And I think Swansea, Swansea fans can finally look forward to a, to a team that is, is pushing forward as opposed to sideways. If he's coming from the Daesh school of football, I wonder how long it is until he's eating worms. Um, look, Swansea have had quite a chaotic summer, having lost their manager, numerous people upstairs, quite a few key players. I think it says a lot about how much we rate the appointment of Michael Duff that I'm not too worried about them, despite the chaos of the summer. Mm-hmm. It feels like another smart appointment by Swansea. Since they got relegated to the championship, they've had Graham Potter, Steve Cooper, Russell Martin. An impressive record, a pretty impressive record. And Michael Duff is next in line in, in that regard. Did a cracking job at Cheltenham, taking them for the depths of League Two, turning them into a solid League One side on a pittance. He went to Barnsley, who had just been easily relegated, made them extremely strong. Could make an argument that they're the best team not to get promoted from League One. After all, they're only a last-minute goal away and got beaten in the league by three of the best teams ever at that level. So his managerial career so far has been very promising. Did excellently as well at developing young players at Barnsley last season too. I think that'll stand him in good stead for developing some of the young players they have at Swansea. I'm really interested to see how he does at championship level because I think he has got a lot of potential. Um, And sure, there are concerns about the style of play for me. Um, At Cheltenham, they were very direct. At Barnsley, he he managed to mix it up a bit more. And I think we won't see, you know, instant success at Swansea. I think it may take a bit of time for them to go from what we saw under Russell Martin, which was very, you know, patience, build-up play, um, and it may take a bit of time to transition into something which is a bit quicker, a bit maybe slightly more direct, um, but hopefully he'll be given time. I mean, Swansea have given their last few managers plenty of time, and hopefully we'll see that to continue to be the case, because I think it is a very smart appointment by Swansea. 13th place, Justin, we have John Dahl Thomason of Blackburn Rovers, the last manager ranking in this episode. You had JDT quite a bit higher than me, Justin, so you can take the lead on this one. I th- yeah, I think sort of middle of the middle ground is is a fair a fair assumption or a fair assessment of, of, of uh, Yondal Thomason. Even though I had him higher, I am still on the fence with him. I think Blackburn defied expectations last season. They finished 7th, 7th, but they did fall away from the playoffs and I think that could have been an easy top six finish for them had they been better and it's very easy um and 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 vague statement to make but and and simple but essentially 
they didn't create enough chances and game management could have been considerably better as I say seventh place is a good finish but there are a lot of holes that could be picked at I think the possession based football was a was the right direction but there was a lot of times where it was too safe too patient um, and as I say I think the reason why I had him higher is because of those expectations being of, of Blackburn going from Tony Mowbray to a manager who had no experience in the championship so for that manager to then deliver a seventh place finish actually it's, it's a decent when you look at it on paper but when you strip it back and dig into a little bit the amount of draws they had was was too low they were losing games after going behind because they didn't turn around any any deficits in, in, in games so yeah I think that I think there's an element of the jury still being out on Yondal Thomason um, there's a lot of improvement that he needs to make I go to that Burnley game there was some tactical naivety as well I go to that Burnley away game at Turf Moor the persistence of playing it out from the back despite Burnley having their number with their press, the high press, and there was no tweak from Thomason at all, just persisted with it. Again, just changing things slightly in those situations can can improve things. And it's not necessarily that Burnley game, but that happened quite often. So for me, that would have turned those losses into draws and that would have essentially got them into the top six. So yeah, I think there's a lot of improvements there for Yondal Thomason to make this season. I do rate him as a manager, but it's just whether or not he can adapt the team enough, along with a new a relatively new group of players as well. So, yeah, element element of sitting on the fence with Thomason, but I do rate him. I do rate him. I, I proved that with my list. So, yeah. On the face of it, Blackburn finishing seventh when not many people fancy them to do much last season is a really good achievement. Thomason did it without much backing either. He's done a great job in developing young lads like Adam Wharton, Hayden Carter, Joe Rankin, Costello. The obvious downside of them was how they were playing statistically, not creating many chances, conceding plenty. To be fair, that did get better as the season went on, but it still wasn't great. And that's why for me personally, I'm still not convinced about Thomason. They only won six points from losing positions last season. That was made to look a lot better with the last day winner. Um, against Millwall, where Millwall just completely collapsed. That was the only game that uh, that Blackburn won from a losing position. So the game management could have been a lot better. They were also dropping a lot of points from winning positions when they weren't at one point um, as the season went on. So the, the, there's a lot of, despite the seventh place finish, which is a really, really good achievement. I don't think there's any denying that. There's a lot of caveats with John Dahl Thomason and you know, falling out of the top six after being there pretty much all season is disappointing. So the jury's definitely still out in my mind. I'm interested to see how he does next season, particularly statistically, where I'm hoping they'll be a lot better. People may not like to hear it, but if you do play better statistically, the results will be better as well. So I think ultimately there's plenty of positives you can give him, but there's also plenty of negatives, Why? which is why it's probably fair that he's essentially mid-table in this list. Yeah, exactly. It's the, the stats that really, when you dig into it, are not particularly inspiring. Um, as you pointed out, the positives, bringing younger players into their first team is going to bring a lot of value into the squad going forwards. Interestingly as well, Ben Barrington-Diaz, whilst Blackburn weren't a one-man team last season, he was incredibly clinical at times. And that was essentially a, yeah, a big 
a big sway in games, um, whether that's winning 1-0 or 2-1 by those small deficits that they did quite often last season. So not having that Ben Barrett Diaz factor, that, that star play factor, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles it. And again, if, he, if Ben Barrett Diaz wasn't there last season, could could circumstances have been a bit different? Blackburn have been a bit lower in the table? Maybe. These are, these are variables you can't really consider. But nonetheless, I think, again, this season with a lot of managers in this bottom half, this season is where I think we're really going to see what they're made of, see what they're about. And I think Thompson falls into that category and probably why he's justified sitting in this 13th. But maybe I'd have pushed him a little bit higher because I'm a bit nicer than you, aren't I? I'm not as much of a, a bastard, let's say. I think you were saying at the weekend that you're the cynical one, Justin. <laughs> in certain, certain scenarios, yes. But I think maybe you have a little bit more cynicism than me. Oh, make your mind up, bloody hell. Um, <laughs> I don't have anything else to add on Thomason. He's one of the managers in particular. I'm really interested to see how he does next season. And I'm hoping to see Blackburn play a lot better statistically because then I won't be criticising them as much as I was last season. Um, because, and I think this is the only comparison I can really give them is they were a bit like Spurs from last season where... They weren't playing very well, but you were like looking at them in the table and saying, how are they so high? Because mm-hmm. just watching them game by game, you could tell they weren't playing very well. They were relying heavily on just being extremely clinical and basically Thomas Kaminsky having an unbelievable game week in, week yeah, out. In the first half of the season, then things did improve in the second half of the season, but not... So much that you thought, yeah, they they definitely deserve to be a top six team. And I still stick by the view that if you look at their performances, they probably were a bottom half team, really. Um, They were just quite fortunate on quite a few occasions. So, yeah, let's see how Blackburn do next season. They've certainly been busy in the transfer window and how those players integrate into the squad, particularly with the loss of Ben Brereton, Diaz and maybe a few others. yeah, they're, they're going to be a really interesting one to keep an eye on. So there we go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been part of one of our manager rankings based on how much we would want them in charge of our club. This has been 24th to 13th on Sunday. You have 12th to 1st. And plenty more disagreements for Justin and I on that one. In fact, probably even more so than on that, on the episode you've just listened to. So you've got that to look forward to. Uh, by the way, you can now watch this podcast on YouTube. We're, up, we're uploading regularly each episode of the podcast onto YouTube. So just search Second Tier Podcast will come up on there. And if you want to see our faces, well we do this podcast then you're more than welcome to don't know why you would because look at us um but there you go ladies and gentlemen this has been the second tier podcast we'll be back again on sunday i've been ryan dilks upper justin peach and a big thank you for listening 